Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church. I'm Pastor Brooke Simpson. I'll be bringing you the word this morning. For all of you students, whether you're at the University of Iowa or you're at Mount Mercy, Co. Kirkwood, um, up at Cornell, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to um, welcome back to school. For some of you that are freshmen, welcome to your first four years of a living nightmare. It'll be over soon. So. Um, Hopefully it won't be a nightmare, but uh, speaking of students, last week, uh, Pastor Josh, at the end of the service, uh, actually the last two weeks, we, we were giving you an opportunity to, to partner with us in demonstrating and declaring the gospel by giving towards or serving to the end that we could uh, feed numerous, numerous students last Sunday afternoon. So we partnered with Crew. Uh, an organization that uh, makes disciples and preaches the gospel and and hopefully uh, sees people come to Christ on campuses all over the world, and another church, One Ancient Hope. And so Crew handed out, like I think, a 1,000 surveys, so a little update on that. Thank you for giving. Thank you for serving. So a 1,000 surveys were given out, spiritual surveys, and then we cooked 300 brats and 300 burgers, and I smelled like meat, up until Friday night just recently. So it's like, you know, Brooks, you could have showered. Well, you know, I did shower, but just that stink just doesn't come off. But tasted good when they were grilled. So we fed a lot of students, a lot of students. So thank you for your partnership, uh, either by serving or by giving towards that. And thank you for your continued service and your generosity as we seek to advance the gospel together. So uh, I want to open with a prayer request that I received, I we received, someone filled out. And by the way, anytime you have a prayer request and you would like the, the, uh, the pastors or the staff, the elders to pray, you can always pick up a, a card in front of you, an index card. It's the red ones. Fill out your prayer request and you can drop it in the box as you, as you exit. So anyway, last week, one of the cards that we received, this was part of the prayer request. It wasn't all of it, but I want you to take a look at it. This person said, I've been a Christian for many years, but I don't feel that my life reflects that. I haven't fully given up. I haven't fully given up my life. I don't know how to loosen my grip. Now, just let's be real. How many of you are thinking, that describes my daily Christian existence? Is that, does, that a, does that look familiar? If it's not, you probably aren't a follower of Christ yet. Or, or you, well, no, I'm just going to leave it there. That, that's so relatable. I read that and I'm thinking, I have to open the sermon with that. And for those of you who are thinking, I'm never going to th- submit a prayer request because you'll use it as a sermon. I asked permission. I emailed the person. They said, absolutely. And the reason I wanted to share that is because I know, I know that we as followers of Christ relate with that. And I also know I also know that those of you who are not yet followers of Christ, you're scared to follow for the very same reason. Yes, there are some people who don't believe that Christ is who he says he is, but there's just as many who are convinced that Jesus is probably who he says he is, but there's a fear. There's a fear that if I begin to follow him, I lose control, he becomes king, I can't call the shots anymore, and I'm pretty sure he's going to send me to Africa or Taiwan or somewhere I don't want to be. Or he's going to ask me to follow him in such a way and glorify him in such a way that I'm going to stay put geographically, but I'm going to be miserable. That's how we think. That's how we think. So how do we change? How do we change? What we're called to be, 
what we're called to be. And this prayer request reflects that. And this person knows this. We're called to be Christ followers. Our vision here at Grace Community Church is by 2025, by 2025, every person at Grace Community Church, which considers this their church home, would become actively engaged as fully devoted disciples of Jesus. Now, that word disciple, it just means follower of Christ. Follower of Christ. So what we're, what we're called to be is fully devoted followers of Christ. And this person's prayer request is saying, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with trusting him to just take one more step in the direction he wants me to take. How do we trust him? How do we trust him? That's what we've been looking at over the last three weeks. So this is the third week in a four-part series where we're talking about being engaged by the gospel and engaging the gospel. So week number one, we looked at our hope, which was engaging the gospel truth. What's the gospel truth? Gospel, it means good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that you and I, separated from God because of our sin, have been brought near through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Christ became sin for us. We're going to see this in the text we're going to look at this morning so that we might become the righteous of God. We've received his grace, his mercy. How? By faith. Not by anything we do, but what Christ has already done. That's the gospel truth. It's foundational. It's foundational. This is what Jesus has done. It's not what we do. It's what Christ has already done. Last week, we looked at our support. That's the gospel community that God has put us in. That gloriously dysfunctional family called the church. Gloriously dysfunctional. As he brings us into a saving relationship with himself, he puts us alongside brothers and sisters in Christ who are just as immature or somewhat more mature than we are, and we are to encourage one another as we follow Jesus. And as we looked last week, Paul said, don't consider yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself in accordance with sober judgment. Think clearly about who you are now in Jesus, in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. In other words, stop living exclusively for yourself and begin to serve and love other people. And therein lies the prayer request. That's hard. That's hard. It's difficult. So today we're going to look at our purpose, engaging gospel mission. Three things we're going to see, a new motive, a new message, and a new method. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's where we're going to be. Let me open in prayer and we will get right to the text and we will let the Holy Spirit do the speaking through the word of God. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Christ. Uh, Lord, that person's prayer request, it resonates with so many of us. Lord, we know what we ought to do, but we fail to do it. And sometimes if we're honest, it's because we're afraid to trust you. Lord, I pray that your gospel would be clear, that your word um, would draw us near to yourself. Help us to trust you. Uh, Lord, convince us of your great love for us and your mercy that we might willingly give of ourselves as a living sacrifice, Father, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. Our new motive. So we are in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul writing to a church that is in a place just like Iowa City. Just like Iowa City, Corinth. There's all sorts of stuff that we really are not going to talk about going on in Corinth and all sorts of stuff that goes on in Iowa City that we're not going to talk about either. They're, they're, a, they're a cosmopolitan town and there's lots of sin and lots of debauchery and there's a church there. So Paul's writing to this church and here's what he says to them. For the love of Christ controls 
us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So if you relate to that prayer request, if you find it difficult to let go of the control of your own life and trust God with providing for you, for, for, for just trust him to obey, then this passage is for you. If you are not in Christ and you're like, I don't know if I can trust God or if I should put this passage is for you. So what, what's the new motive that Paul talks about here? It's right there in the first verse. For the love of what? The love of Christ controls us. Now that word control, that word control, it means to press together, to constrain, to him in. It's, it's what motivates us. It's what drives us. It's what drives us, and it's what keeps us walking in a certain direction. Now, what, what is it that controls? What's the text say? The love of Christ. Now, does that refer to my love for Christ? Your, our love? Is, is Paul saying, our love for Jesus, that's what motivates us. Now, is it a true statement that if my love is warm. My affections are warm. That will influence the way I behave. Is that true? Sure it is. But is that what Paul's saying? What's the problem with us interpreting that to mean that my love for God is what determines how I'm going to live my life? What's the problem with that? You tell me. Our love, the way we feel, the warmness of our affection at any given time towards Christ it waxes and wanes, and for some of you, it's non-existent. So if what Paul is saying, to the degree that you love Jesus, well, then that's what motivates us. The problem with that is that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about the way we feel towards God. He's talking about God's love towards us, the love of Christ, the love that God has for, the love of God that he has for us. So, Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. It's important for us to establish what this love is. Just one verse, Romans chapter 5. Let's take a look at verse 8. Verse 8. Paul says this. God shows his love, his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of of God. For while we were enemies, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved through his life? What is Paul saying about God's love? God's love is this. While you and I were enemies, there was a time, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 4, every single person here, and for some of you, that's present tense. There was a time, Paul says, that we were all, all of us, dead in our trespasses and sins in which we used to live when we followed the ways of this world and lived according to our natural desires. We were enemies of God. That doesn't mean that you and I were actively plotting how we could overthrow the, the king of the universe, overthrow him. It doesn't mean that we were at a satanic cult worshiping the devil. It just, what does Jesus say? If you're not for me, you are against me. So in our lives, we thought to ourselves, I thought to myself, here's my best life. This is the way I'm going to live it. And Christ has nothing to do with it. By nature, I was an enemy of God. And here's what Paul's saying. Brooks, 
when you were at your worst, when you were living for nothing more than sexual immorality and debauchery and selfishness, that's what I had in mind when I went to the cross. My love was for you at that moment while you were still a sinner. We tend to to view God's love for us in this way. When we are on top of our game, we can buy that God's love remains on us. We can kind of get that, right? But that's not what Paul's saying. No, he's saying when you were, when you were dead set against Christ, having nothing to do with him, following your own, that's when God's love was demonstrated for you. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, what does that lead to? It means that Paul, as he's cognizant of that, God's love towards him. Now, what was Paul's occupation before he became an apostle of the Gentile? What did he do for a living? He hunted down Christians, had them arrested, flogged, and then executed. Paul knows about the love of God. Paul knows that God's love was on him even as he was a sworn enemy, literally, of Christ. The same is true for us. Let's keep looking. So for the love of God, uh, love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we've concluded something. What's the conclusion? Well, let's just keep reading. What does Paul conclude? Paul concludes that one has died for all, all of us, the sins of the world. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, some of you might be reading that or looking at that, hearing me read these words and thinking, I'm confused. One died for all. Get it. Therefore, all died. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You just lost me. Think Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying that all of us collectively as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in Christ. Therefore, we, we no longer live for ourselves. We've died in a sense. We're united with him in his death. So because of that, because of that, he died for all that those who live might no longer live for. What's the text say? Themselves. What's your and I's biggest problem? Who do we normally live for? ourselves. So that's what Paul's saying. We're constrained. We're compelled by the love of Christ that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. So that's the conclusion. There's a transition. We no longer live for ourselves in theory, right? In theory. Now, how many of you day to day tend to, I know I not, ought not to live for myself, but I do. Yeah. Hence the person's prayer request, right? So how do we move forward? Next verse. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Full stop. Let's just pause for a second. So Paul's saying, because one died for all, therefore all died, we, were, we no longer live for ourselves. Why? Well, we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, that's, that's a key statement. So when you regard someone according to the flesh, what is Paul talking about? That's not language we typically use. We don't typically th- say things at, 
where we work or to our roommates or, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking according to the flesh or your, but that is a common biblical way of saying when we think according to the nature we used to live in before we met Jesus, when we think according, here's what it means to view someone according to the flesh. It means we view people, our spouses, our roommates, uh, the people we work with, the people we go to school with, uh, people that we don't like, people that don't like us. And according to Paul, Jesus as well. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh. When you view someone according to the flesh, here's what it means. You view them as a means to an end. They're a means to an end. And what is the end? Your personal happiness. We view people as, will this man, will this woman, will this child, or are they currently at this moment increasing my happiness quotient? No, then I'm going to distance myself from them. Yes, I'm going to draw near to them because they will make my life better. So that's what it means to view someone according to the flesh. In other words, what can they do for me? What can they do for me? Now, Paul here says that we used to view Christ according to the flesh. In other words, Paul used to look at Jesus as just another person. A teacher? Yes. A holy man of God? Yes. The son of God who came to die for the sins of man and redeem Israel? No. He viewed him only in terms of his humanity, not in terms of his divinity. And what Paul is saying is, I don't think that way anymore. I don't view anyone, Jesus or you, the Corinthians, the Ephesians, or the people in North Liberty, or Brooks, or you. It doesn't view any of us according to the flesh. In other words, what they can do for me. But now, but now he views them, and it doesn't say this, but the opposite of viewing someone in the flesh is viewing someone according to the spirit. The end game has changed. Everything has changed. Turning your Bibles to... Uh, Philippians chapter 3. Um, if you don't, uh, don't have your Bible handy, uh, just listen along as I read. So Philippians chapter 3, listen to what Paul says. What Paul says in verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I once had, I count as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish." in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but coming as, as coming from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So the end game has changed. The end game is no longer, I view everyone else according to how they can make me happy. The end game is, I view them as who they are now, as in Christ, or who they are now as those who need Christ. And my righteousness, my worth, is no longer derived by what I can get from other people, in theory. I know better, but still I find myself identifying with that person's prayer request. Okay, verse 17. In light of all that, 
in light of who Christ is and what he's done and the fact that God's love constrains me, controls me, therefore, if any of us, any of you, me included, if any of us are in Christ, we are new creations. The old has passed away. Behold, behold, the new has come. Okay, let's just full stop, pause. When you think about yourself, when you think about yourself, what makes you feel okay about who you are as a human being? Where's your worth derived? How do you... Especially, I mean, you, you, you know what you ought to do, and you fail to do it, and so do I. We know that we ought not to view people according to the flesh, but we tend to treat people that way. And that's why we have personal conflict with other people. So we fail, and, and, and then we think, I just don't have what it takes. I just don't have what it takes. So where's your worth derived? Well, what is Paul saying here in verse 17? Our worth, who we are, is not no longer defined by our performance. Our worth is defined by who we are now in Christ. That's why Paul says in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. And the life I do live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. My identity is in who I am in Christ. So you and I are not supposed to look at ourselves in accordance with our worth or or in accordance with our performance, good or bad. That's why Paul says, forgetting what is behind, I press on towards what God has called me heavenly towards. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's our identity is now wrapped up not in who we are in terms of what we do, but who we are in terms of who we are wed to, Christ. We are therefore new creations. Okay, now let's move on. So our new message, we're new creations. This is who we are in Christ. God's given us a new message. Now there's a lot here, so just follow along with me in the text. All this is from God. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Okay, key word here, reconciled. You see, reconciled us to himself and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. How many of you in the last year have been reconciled to someone? Anybody? What does that mean? If you've been reconciled to someone, what does that, what set, what does that say about the previous state of your relationship? It was awful. You were at odds with one another. There was enmity. You were sworn enemies. What is, what is Paul saying? All of us were enemies of God in which we used to live, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when we followed the desires of our flesh. We were sworn enemies of God. Now, some of you are like, Brooks, I, I'm not a Christian, but I'm not an enemy of God. Okay, here's the reality. There can only be one king of the universe. You or Jesus. There are, you can't, if you are the king of your life... You are a rebel insurgent against the regime of God. You may not feel enmity towards him, but you, you feel enmity towards his commandments and wanting, wanting to tell you what, how you should live your life. We seek after God the way a, a criminal seeks after a cop. This is, this is what it means. And so that was our current reality before Christ. But what's it say? Through Christ, he reconciled to us to himself, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, verse 19, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, so get this, get this. Not only are you and I pardoned for our sins. Good news, right? That's the essence of the gospel. Not only are you and I declared righteous because of who we are in Christ, because of what he's done, not because of what we've done. So, so two things. You're not guilty. You're pardoned. You are righteous. You have a standing as an adopted son and daughter. So that, all that's, that's your new status. That's your new creation, right? Listen, though. So he's reconciled you to himself. So he doesn't see you as an enemy anymore. He sees you as an adopted heir, right? So he's not counting your sins against you. The fact that you used to want to be king of your own universe and wanted to dethrone him as king of the universe, he doesn't hold that against you because Christ has died for that sin, right? But, but now look, he's now entrusted to us, what? The message of reconciliation. The message of reconciliation. I remember in 19, I think it was 1990. I was a Christian, new Christian. I became a Christian in 88. I was still in college and I was having breakfast with uh, the lead pastor here at Grace Community Church, Keith Carlson. And he said, Brooks, why did God save you? And I said, so I could be forgiven and go to heaven. He says, "Mm, that's a result of being saved. I'm talking about what's the purpose for which he saved you? To what end? What does he want to do with you? How does he want to use you? I don't know. Well, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we turned to this passage and he had me read it. And I'm reading verse by verse. And I get to verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And it's entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ. Brooks, why did God save you? So I could declare the message of, so I could be ambassador of Christ. There you go. That's your new identity. And at the time, my plan was to live out that identity as an ambassador for Christ in the context vocationally as a science teacher and a wrestling coach. God had other plans. Regardless of what your, how you make your living, that's God's call on all of our lives if we are followers of Christ. Look what he's done. He's reconciled us to himself and he's given to us what? The message of what? Reconciliation. Now, some of you are thinking, I, I don't have the gifts and the abilities to articulate what that message is. You don't have to. We'll get to how our method of doing that here in in, uh, the next point, and actually we'll flesh that out over the next five years. But that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. We are now um, given the message of reconciliation. Uh, Here's the thing. Look at verse 19. The word entrusting. Entrusting. That means that God has given us something really valuable, and he's saying, okay, do this. Let's be candid. How many of you, I got to be careful. I don't want to step into blasphemous territory here. How many of you think it unwise that God would trust you with something so valuable? Anybody ever think of that? It's like, if, you know, if, if I were God, and we can all thank God that we're not, but if I were God, 
it seems a very inefficient way to help people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. Oh, I know. Give those who are insecure and, and prone to self-idolatry and self-worship the task of being messengers of reconciliation. That seems terribly inefficient. It is. But why does God do it? It's his plan. It's not plan A or B. It's plan A. Why does he do it? Because he wants us to experience his joy. He wants us to experience the joy that he has in seeing people come to Christ by using us in that process. He wants to use you. He wants to equip you. He wants to empower you. And not you as an individual, but us collectively as a community. Remember, he's speaking to a group of people. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. An ambassador is not a vocation. It doesn't mean that you're a pastor. It doesn't mean you become a missionary. It means that whatever God has called you to do in life, husband, father, wife, mother, single person, student, professor, athlete, business person, whatever, whatever it is that God has given you to do, you do it with all of your might, with all of your heart, for God's glory, as an ambassador. An ambassador is, by definition, a representative. So we are God's representative in the spheres that God has placed us. There are people in your sphere of influence that I have absolutely no way to come in contact with and reach and proclaim the gospel. It's, it's just the way that God designed it. It's, it's a virus. You're supposed to infect the world. Take your mask off. It's a metaphor. Roll with it, okay? And go interact with people and, and breathe the gospel on them. It's not in the notes. I'm going to get emails. It's a metaphor already. Roll with it. You get it though, right? That's how it's supposed to work. You've been entrusted, you've been infected with the gospel. Let that gospel actually interact with the people that you... Be an ambassador, represent him wherever God has placed you. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what he's talking about. And he says, we implore you on behalf of, of Christ, be reconciled to God. I love that sentence. Do you know why I love that sentence? Because Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he does not assume that the people that are listening to that are in Christ. And I don't know where you're at with Jesus. Some of you do not, you're not following Christ. You haven't received him. Some of you think that God loves you because you're a good person. That's not true. I don't mean that you're not a nice person, but good is not nice. Some of you have not yet received Christ. Paul's saying, I implore you, I'm begging you, don't leave the gospel unreceived. Some people come in and out of church and they hear the gospel again and again and again, that Christ died for sinners and that we receive him by grace through faith. And they think to themselves, someday I'm going to receive Christ. Someday I'm going to receive Christ. Someday I'm going to receive Christ. But not today. Why not today? Well, I got a lot of partying to do. I remember when I first, I think I remember I was a freshman in college and, and somebody invited me to a Bible study. And, and I came to the Bible study. And it wasn't that I was thinking, I think this is all garbage. I don't believe any of this. I'm thinking, it might be true, but I'm not ready yet. Why not? Well, I had stuff I wanted to do. What kind of stuff? 
stuff that I knew that Jesus probably didn't want me to do. So I'm not ready yet. And what's Paul saying? I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. And why won't you? I'll tell you why. You don't believe that that will be the what path to, to happiness. And here's the truth. If God poured out his love for you on the cross, do you not suspect he may have your happiness in mind too? It's, they're not mutually exclusive. The life of a disciple is the only way you can truly be fulfilled and happy. I'm not saying it's easy. You can get everything you want in life and still be miserable. Do you believe that? It's a fact. It's a fact. Christ wants to give you something better. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For, for our sake, he made him who to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Verse 21 is a great summary of the gospel. We've been looking at it for the last four weeks. And by the way, for the next five, six, seven years until Jesus returns, that's going to be the theme of what you hear all the time. Some of you are like, yeah, I know, and it gets old. If it gets old for you, you don't understand it. You don't. You don't. I've been preaching the gospel for 25 years. And I'm just partially convinced I believe it half the time. Some of you, that disturbs you. What I mean is I know it here, but at a heart level, it doesn't always constrain me because I'm not sure I trust. I'm not sure that I'm convinced that his love is as deep as it is for me. And I'm, I'm telling you, I want, I want to know that love. And I'm imploring you that you receive that love. We need the body of Christ. The purpose of the body is that we come alongside one another and we, we encourage one another. Why? Because we forget that this is true. I need to be reminded of it. I shared with my wife just yesterday, just walking around in this funk of this self-condemnation. Feel like a failure again. Feel like a failure again. Feel it. I need to tell my wife that so she can remind me of who I am in Christ. See, Brooks, you're the pastor. You should already know that. Yeah, it's crazy how it works. I should, and I do. But I need other people to remind me of who Jesus is for me. That's why you're always going to hear the gospel embedded into everything because apart from it, we become little legalists. And we convince ourselves of our own righteousness and our own morality. And then we begin to look at all those people out there who don't have Jesus and think that we're somehow better than them. We're not. Do you know that some of your pagan neighbors are way nicer people than you? Did you know that? Why is that true? Because they're by the grace of God, go I. But even though they're nicer than you and you're more obnoxious than they are, He's given you his spirit and made you his adopted daughter or son. And he's entrusted to you the message of reconciliation. They need Christ. You have Christ. I need Christ. I have Christ, but I need to remember who I am in Christ. And when I remember, then I'm able to trust. Then I'm able to step out in faith. Then I'm able to receive the grace that God has me for today. So how do we do this? Therefore, we're ambassadors. Ambassadors, remember that they're representatives, not kings. So how do I represent? I represent Christ the world 
by blessing them. This is an acronym. See, Brooks, I'm looking at the clock. You don't have much time. It's okay. We're going to unpack this over the next five years. Over the next five years. For many of you that are in leadership, maybe you lead a community group, uh, maybe you are uh, involved at, at some level, you're on staff, you're an elder, you've seen that book. It's by uh, Dave Ferguson and John Ferguson, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. It's an acronym. It stands for Begin with Prayer. Begin with prayer. As you, as you leave the sanctuary, you're going to see the ushers handing out these little uh, Klingon stickers that you can put on your windshield, you can put on your mirror, you can put on the first thing you look at in the morning, which is your phone. So you can stick this on your phone and then you can, okay, I, I remember to pray, and then you can peel it off and you can put it back on. Anyway, begin with prayer. Begin, re- communicate with the Father. You have a privilege He is your father. You can speak to your father about everything, about everything. And asking him, Lord, I want to be your ambassador. I'm going to be honest. I botched that a lot. Help me. Show me how to step. Show me where to step. Show me what to believe. Show me how to trust you. Show me who you want me to interact with. Begin with prayer. Second, listen. Listen to whom? Well, first of all, listen to the one you're praying to. Listen to God. Listen to the spirit. He'll lead you. But then listen to the people he brings you in contact with. Here's, here's, here's what I don't want you to think of. I don't want you to think that an ambassador means that you're supposed to run out to the Pentecost and say, Hey, you're a bunch of sinners. God died for you by sending his son. He rose again from the dead. There. Task accomplished. Why do I speak in a southern accent when I do that? I don't know. It just flows. By the way, that is a way of preaching the gospel, but it's not about talking, 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 talking. If you look at Jesus' interaction with all the people he interacted with, what was he usually doing? Listening and asking questions. So just get to know the people that God has put around you. Listen. They'll reveal to you where they're hurting. They'll reveal what's going on in their lives and ask questions, ask questions. By the way, we'll unpack this over the next five years. Eat. It's self-explanatory. Everyone likes it. Just do it with other people. Other people that are in the body of Christ and other people that are not. So, I don't know if I should eat with sinners and tax collectors. Oh, yeah, you wouldn't want to be like Jesus. Do you recognize that was something that he he got the mantra of he's a friend of sinners and tax collectors because he was always having dinner with them? Why? Because they're the people that needed the gospel. Now, I'm not suggesting you go to the field house and belly up to the bar till one in the morning and drink four pitchers of beer with these people. That's why it says eat, not drink. So be wise, be wise, and then serve. Serve. How can we serve our neighbors? How can we serve one another? What do they need? They'll tell you what they need if you just listen and then come along and serve them. And then share. Share what? Share your story. Share how Christ has redeemed and reconciled you. Do you know the one thing that all the atheists and the unbelievers of the world cannot deny? Your testimony. Your testimony. Now, you could tell them Jesus rose from the dead, and they say, I don't believe that. But if you say, here's what Christ has done in my life, that's not refutable. Share. Share. Again, we're going to be looking at this over the next five years. For the love of Christ controls us because we've made a conclusion. One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for he, for him 
who for their sake died and was raised. Here's the deal. You and I, if we are in Christ, we're his. You're his. We're new creations. The old is gone. Behold, all things have made new. And we are now to live not for ourselves, but for him. But here's the catch. Here's the catch. Oh yeah, I know I'm supposed to live for you, but I'm afraid to trust you with a step of obedience. That's where we need to look to the gospel and remember, okay, he loved me so much that he took my sins to the cross. He has my happiness, my best interest at his heart. He wants to bless me so that I can bless others. Now that doesn't mean you're going to live an easy life. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a a life without suffering. In fact, just let me burst the bubble. You will suffer. You can't get through life without suffering, but Jesus wants to walk with you in that suffering and use that suffering to draw you closer to him and use that suffering to allow you to be a better ambassador for Christ to others who will suffer as well. That's the beauty of the gospel. So as we close in prayer, before we close in prayer, now, as we close in prayer, Pastor Josh, executive pastor, is going to come up and we're going to have uh, an announcement. So Josh, if you'd come up, let me close and uh, then we will have our announcement. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. The truth is that prayer request that that person handed in, there's not a person here who cannot relate to that. So Lord, would you help us to trust you? Would you help us, Lord, to believe what we might already know intellectually, that Christ died for sinners amongst whom we are all included in that category? Help us to believe that at an existential level where it changes fundamentally how we see ourselves and how we see others, not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Lord, help us to trust you, to encourage, be encouraged uh, by one another to continue to love and to serve you and to be served by one another. Father, for the sake of the gospel, that Christ might be proclaimed to this community and amongst the nations, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Josh, this incredibly full-bearded, handsome man to my left is up here, and um, we made an announcement some time ago, pre-COVID, that we had all sorts of different plans for this facility. Can you update us on those plans? Yeah, if you were here then, you might remember that we worked with an architectural firm called Station 19, and we had big plans. We're going to expand the sanctuary here, remodel the lobby, do all kinds of different things. And initially, uh, we were thinking it was going to cost about $12 million. We had what we thought was a good way forward. Okay. And where are we at with all of those grand plans? Uh, Well, there was a thing. It was called COVID. It happened. Okay. Uh, It impacted a lot, as you may have heard. And one of the things it's impacted is building prices. They have skyrocketed. And so our $12 million plan is now an 18 to $20 million plan. For the love of all that is good and holy, please tell me we did not spend $20 million. We did not spend Excellent. $20 million. Excellent. No, no we right. did spend $1 million. Okay. On what? Uh, on the 17th, Grace Community Church became the owner of 14 and a half acres of land on Kansas Avenue, North Liberty. And it is uh, just north of Forever Green Road on the west side of Kansas. So it runs parallel to uh, 380. And we just purchased that outright. There is no mortgage on the property. Praise okay. the Lord. Okay. All right. Pray tell, how did we pay for it? Where did we get this money? 
This congregation has been very faithful in giving, and some of their giving has been earmarked toward facility updates, toward possible land purchase, and so that's where that money came from. All right. If it costs so much to build, and it does, why did we buy land now? Pre-COVID, this building was getting too small. The congregation was evidently too large, and that's not the case right now. We do have enough space right now, but it could become too large, or the congregation could become too large again. So we know that we might need something in the future, and this property, which is about half the size, the one that we're sitting on now is about half the size of the one uh, that we just purchased. It's only big enough to have land um, for parking or land for a building. We can't really do both here. And so we knew that ahead of time. That was a complication from our original plan. Uh, And so we looked for land. There just wasn't any available. And now there is land available. We purchased it. Okay. So what is the plan now? Are we building now? Or are we just going to start breaking ground? What's... How's that work? We are going to sit still. We're going to wait because we don't know what the best use of that land is. We want to make sure that we have the congregation's needs in mind, the community's needs in mind. And so we're going to take at least a year to figure out what's best for our congregation and community. Uh, There is a farmer who is currently using that land for farmland, and we have a lease with him for the next year. So for at least another year, we're going to evaluate what's best. Okay, so we're not building now. We are not building now. What are we doing now? We are praying like Brooks said. And we're also going to do some really intensive survey work. So if you have any interest whatsoever in participating in that work and finding out what's best for Grace and for our community, um, you can email Ryan McFadden. If you have questions about any of this that we just talked about, you can email me. You can talk to me after the service. And we're going to have this information that we just talked about posted on the web too. So look at that. uh, Think about getting involved and for sure pray. So... By the way, this is scripted. You probably didn't notice. Um, uh, We have a plan. The plan is not to build currently. The plan is to plan. And the plan is to seek to find out from the community how we can best bless them. And we'll figure out what we do with this property and that property in in days to come. Yes? Almost like we thought about this. Almost. Almost. Excellent. All right. So what can we do right now? Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's do that. So I'll pray now, and I would ask you to continue to pray. It's a great opportunity for us. We have options, whereas in the past 15 years, we've had none. We've been boxed in, so now we have options. Praise God. What we do with those, we need to seek the Holy Spirit to give us direction. So let's, let's ask him. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for, for the salvation that we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this facility, which was built in 1994 for a church of about 100 people that became a lot more. And, Lord, we're cramped. Uh, even uh, now that COVID is over, um, we don't have as many people as we did pre-COVID, but it's still not going to work out if people come back and we reach those 1,000 people. So, Lord, we need wisdom to know how to best steward the resources that you've given us, this property, that other property, and also the talents and the gifts that you've given us. There's men, women, and children here who have the Holy Spirit, and they've been entrusted with a message of reconciliation. So, Lord, whether we are talking about what facility to use and how to construct that, or what I do with my, uh, um, my barbecue plans for this afternoon, Lord, help us to do all of that for your glory, that Christ might be exalted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless, go in grace, and we'll see you next week.